did he? Coffee. Too much coffee. I'm just taking him out for some air. I mean, some fresh air for me. He's just coming along for the ride. What? You're a doctor. I didn't see your badge. Sorry. I'm a doctor. So why the hell am I talking to you? Piss off. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And uh, why the hell are you talking to me? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she's not a doctor. She's not, but... She instead works at a company where, to be quite honest, I don't really know what they do. No, I don't have any I idea. Don't, yeah, but... Uh, business. Business. Business stuff. Corporate. Office stuff. Which is part of the movie called... 925. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one was fun. I mean, this one, I, I was thinking about this, I think outside of The Shining, this is the only other 1980 oh, okay. movie. That I was, I, man, when you brought yeah. The Shining. <laughs> you thought I was making some comparison? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we could find one. But, um, I mean, in some regards, The Shining is also about a woman who is being held down by yeah. her by by a man so i don't, I don't i'm trying real it's, hard but <laughs> yeah in i think case, uh jack nicholson is just like dabney coleman in this just movie. like just like yeah so nine to five uh this was a super fun one to cover especially with our special guest and like i mentioned 1980 so coming in right at the beginning of the decade and kind of like the shining it feels it feels more 70s than totally yeah yeah with like the just the colors and everything and the the whole shebang yeah, yeah it feels very late 70s um which Makes you know sense. like we were saying it probably technically was shot yeah. um perhaps in 79 so and yeah i mean that's something that i think about a lot when we go over all of our different movies you know the way that like the tone the vibe of this film is really different than what you get in like the mid 80s with something like back to the future oh yeah which it, yeah. is also very different from something you get at the very end of the decade like say anything which is 89 so well sadly nine to five was able to predict how people would still be treated in the office right? in 2021 however they will they were not able to predict office furniture it would <laughs> It was it was really bizarre for them to be bringing up stuff that for the time felt really progressive and then you sit and think oh it's 41 years later and we still haven't dealt with a lot of these issues yeah I, I think you know the Dabney Coleman character mm -hmm. still exists in 2021 yeah but they're smart enough to find new ways to try to get away with like they wouldn't yeah. be as overt as you know his his scheme of arranging everything just so on his desk that was, yeah, we'll get into that yeah. for sure. Okay, a lot. it's a lot. So nine to five. First of all, we have our writing credits. So two people are credited for the writing credits. The first of which is Patricia Resnick. Okay. So she has a story and screenplay by credit. Um, so my guess here is that she was the uh, well, you know, we talk about it with our guest Susan that, you know, Jane Fonda was really the person behind this movie. Yeah. So I'm not sure if Fonda maybe came to Resnick or if Resnick had a script already laying around since she does have a story by credit. Um, you know, it seems like she was part of the writing process early on. As far as some of her other credits, we have a wedding. We have a wedding. It's just called The Wedding. Okay. Yeah. Quintet. 
so not not really a lot of names that we maybe know not that that means anything look these are all words i've heard i've heard i've heard wedding i've heard the word quintet quintet maxi uh second sight now here's the film that like i probably know her best from outside of 95 straight talk which is another Dolly Parton. Yeah. Film, so, yeah. Um, and then she's actually transitioned really successfully into television. So the, the credits that I just listed were all like films. Um, but she has been a writer and producer on several series. So one of them is called Olivia. She wrote for it, also produced on it. Mm-hmm. She wrote for a series called Recovery Road. She wrote and produced on Tales of the City. And then most recently... Uh, she's written for and produced on Better Things. So she's okay. still super active in the industry. She's just, it seems like she's pivoted over to television. I see that she uh, wrote Sex, Lies, and Obsession. And I'm just curious if that has anything to do with videotape. <laughs> Moving on. That is interesting that the title is like so similar. Anyway, I mean, we've seen that actually happen a lot. Like yeah. Last Picture Show and Last Picture Movie yeah things like that yeah Yeah. so okay so the other writing credit is actually for the director of the film so he came in on the writing side as well colin higgins so he has a screenplay by credit and not like a ton of writing credits but of the ones that he does um very some of them very well-known properties so he wrote harold and maude okay yeah yeah silver streak Foul Play. I did I did enjoy that movie. I remember that with Chevy Chase. Silver Strike? No, Foul Play. Foul Play. Yeah. Okay. As you can tell, I'm not familiar. <laughs> so, um, And then the other one that's pretty well known, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Mm. Yeah. All right. So then moving on to the same person, because <laughs> he's also the director of this film. Oh. So we're going to continue to talk about Colin Higgins. Moving on. <laughs> To the same guy we just talked about. Exactly. But in this regard, his directing work. So here, okay, so here's the thing about um, Colin Higgins. He passed away fairly early. Mm. So my guess is that he would have had a much longer uh, career had he been able to um, stay with us, but that wasn't the case. And so that's why also some of his, his like, list of credits is fairly um, brief. Mm. But among his other directing credits is that film that you seem to like a lot foul play i mean i like it i don't know if i (laughs) i i remember it okay so there must have been something there for me to uh still still remember it so long ago so foul play and then he also directed best little whorehouse in texas so it seems like he was a gentleman who liked to direct the stuff that he had a hand in writing as well so we've covered that before yeah definitely Yeah. yeah very common yeah very common that directors like to do that so Okay, moving on to cinematography. So this particular... So the cinematographer, the guy who shot this, was Ronaldo Villalobos. Okay, you said that exactly the way that um, Butch's character in Pulp Fiction says the name of the taxi driver, Villalobos. Am I saying it wrong? I don't think so. Okay, okay. I try with the names. Um so he is still he's currently 80 years old and still working um what's interesting is that 
this was only his second credit. So, I mean, not to say that he wasn't working in the industry in other regards, but so this movie is 41 years old, puts him at about 39. So interesting to me that because that's a little bit older to have like among your first major credits. But holy cow, this guy, he has some very well-known credits to his name. So besides 9 to 5, we have Urban Cowboy. A lot, a lot of good 80s movies. It's a comedy, right? <laughs> Not a comedy. Um, Risky Business. Okay. Lucas, which I we're going to do that at some point. I love that movie. We will. Saving Grace, Punchline, Major League, mm. okay. American Me, A Bronx Tale, Roosters, PCU, Rami and Michelle's High School Reunion. That was a fun movie. Such yeah. a fun movie. Love it. Love and Basketball. Okay. Not Another Teen Movie. Jack and Maryland, uh, he did some TV work. He shot a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. Nice. Uh, then came you. And then, like I said, he's still working. It's been announced. I'm not sure, you know, announced doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go into production. But his latest credit is called Crooked Halos. Okay. So Well, they didn't just say it. They announced it. So it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, really impressive that he's still going strong. So good on you. I, I have to also note that he was credited as additional photographer on The Running Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So well done. Okay. So music by... <laughs> Dolly Parton. Another okay, so that's <laughs> yes. So that's the big caveat here. That's the big caveat here. Um I'm gonna get to Dolly in a minute. So typically when we talk about music, we're talking about the musical score. Yes. So that's what I'm focusing on at the moment. Um, and that score was by a gentleman named Charles Fox. So also 80 years old, he has 134 composing credits to his name. Dang. Yeah, super impressive. Okay, so I had a had kind of a hard time narrowing it down because a lot of them are very familiar. So what um, are you are you limiting it to like composer? Composer. Okay. Yeah, because we yeah we've talked about that before too. Where a lot of the times somebody who's involved, they can be involved in different ways. Yeah, if yeah. they're involved on the musical side of things, there's usually like different categories for that. Yeah. But I'm focusing on composing credits. So here's the thing that I thought was wild. Okay, so this gentleman was born in 1940. He has a composing credit for Major League Baseball on ABC from 1953. That would make him 13 years old. Things were different then. He has a composing credit when he was 13 years old. I mean, that is impressive. That is yeah. hella impressive. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Am I doing the math right on this? But that's what's there. So, okay. He also composed on uh, The Tonight Show, mm-hmm. starring Johnny Carson. Uh, the TV show, What's My Line? So I thought this was interesting. Um, he was the composer on Barbarella, Jane Fonda yeah. film. So I'm not sure if maybe she brought him in for this this particular there were movie. parts of that movie that actually seem more grounded in reality than nine to five <laughs> so here's what's interesting so jane fonda was also in the film version of barefoot in the park now fox did not compose for that but he did compose for the tv series version okay of barefoot in the park so a little bit of a connection uh he composed on a separate piece did you ever read that book what book a separate piece no oh it's it's a real downer of a book. 
I feel it's like one of those. I'm adding it to my list right now. It's one of those like you read it in high school type books. Oh, okay. Oh, such a down. I mean, it's not that it's not a good book. That would be an interesting exercise to look at the list of books that people normally read in high school and try to read them now. And I don't think I'm going to do it. Yeah. Look, I appreciate the things that I was asked to read in high school because I then had that experience of getting to know that work early on. But it's just not like usually what I gravitate towards at this point. But, you know. Separate piece, Madame Bovary, those types. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so he <laughs> composed on the TV series Love American Style. And he's got some Oscar nominations. So he was not, but not for his actual score work. So I'm cheating a little bit. For like title or song? For or? song. Okay. Yeah. So he got a Oscar nomination for Best Original Song for the film The Other Side of the Mountain. So that was one of his Oscar noms. All right. Um, he composed on... A lot of like well-known TV shows. So he composed on Laverne and Shirley. He composed on Happy Days. Then he actually got a second Oscar nomination again, Best Original Song for Foul Play. <laughs> Believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Uh, he composed on Little Darlings, Oh God, Book Two, Zapped, Ugh. Strange Brew. Wow. Wow. Strange Brew. I yeah, mean, Zapped well, and Strange Brew kind of like, they could be part of like a collection of... Sure. Yeah. Zapped, because um, isn't Zapped Scott Bayo? Yeah, he has like psychic powers, and I think he just uses it completely to undress women. I have feelings about Scott Bayo, so I'm not sure if we're going to do that movie anytime soon. I, um, I Look, I... I advocate for the wildest 80s movies. I am not advocating for that movie. I have <laughs> no desire to cover but that. But I, I, we will do Strange Brew at oh, yeah. some point. I yeah. love that movie. Poser. So um, <laughs> He did National Lampoon's European Vacation. He composed on the TV show The Love Boat. He did Short Circuit 2, The Gods Must Be Crazy 2. He did the TV series of Conan, and then, I mean, he's still with us, but he just isn't actively composing anymore. So 2010 was his last credit for 100 Voices, A Journey Home. So Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so moving on to the gentleman who cut this film. Uh, we talk about him a touch with our special guest. So Pembroke J. Herring. Um, so distinguished. Very distinguished name. He passed just last year uh, at the age of 90. So um, a very long, successful career. Also had uh, several Oscar nominations, the first of which was for the film Tora, Tora, Tora. Yeah. Yeah. So, that film was a big deal, I think. Big deal. Um, so Oscar nom for Best Editing. He uh, cut on the TV show barnaby jones nice he gets his second oscar nom again for best editing for bound for glory this okay so you can see that these people tend to work together a lot he we run into this a lot it's a just lot. this is a different this is a new set of people all working together exactly. on different things we've yeah. been covering kind of like similar films where we've been like running into the same people now we have a whole new group of people to run into a whole of new group of people that yeah. like to work together because he was the editor on foul play so <laughs> <laughs> there you go um also was the editor on little darlings best little whorehouse in texas uh so he was the editor not on national lampoon's european but just vacation so the first the of first the one two. okay yeah. uh well 
then Strike did, he that. Make, did he make a comeback? <laughs> then he made a comeback and he okay. did European vacation. Perfect. Um, in between those two, he did Johnny Dangerously. And then he gets his third Oscar nom for Best Editing for Out of Africa, which ended up winning Best Picture. Uh, so a lot of range here. Uh, he did Legal Eagles, Who's That Girl, Great Balls of Fire, Groundhog Day. It's it's an awful movie with an awful person, but I'm just going to say it. He also edited on Ghost Dad. Oh, yeah. I did, I did deliberately yeah, skip I that one, but that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. No, good preface. I, so. I take enough shots at the remake of uh, Poltergeist. I can take a sure. shot at uh, Cosby. Sure. Um, and then just wrapping up, he did Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, and Multiplicity. Okay. All right. So we're at the stars of this film. He worked with, um, uh, what's his name? Michael Keating? Yeah. Keaton. Yeah. A couple times. Yes. With Johnny Dangerously. Yep. And multi- yeah. Yeah. Okay. So who knows if that was like Keaton's call? um to to have him be the editor but uh Keaton's yeah. Call is a show I would watch Keaton's Call <laughs> Do you know uh what Michael Keaton's real name is? No. George Stanswickly. Well, you know how like know. you know it's probably uh although Michael B Jordan has definitely done well for himself although he has a very similar name to somebody else who is also very, 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 very famous. Yeah. Um, but apparently Michael Keaton was like, ah, there's already this guy out there, so I'm going to have to change my last name. His real name is Michael Douglas. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, I can't I can't beat Michael Douglas. So oh, my God. He's that, Michael uh, Keaton. That's amazing. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Okay. So. That literally made me jump back in my chair, and my chair just creaked <laughs> on the mic. And I'm not getting rid of it. <laughs> I think it's funny when people have to do that. I mean, I, I'm Michael not, Douglas. Yeah, his real name is Michael <laughs> Douglas. It's fun. Okay, so the amazing, amazing stars in this film, uh, most of whom we have not covered before, so it's like all new ground for us. Yeah, we've brought her up already, Jane Fonda. Uh, the person who really was the driving force behind this film, and she is one of the three female leads. She plays the character of Judy Burnley. Jane Fonda, man. So she has seven Oscar nominations. Of those nominations, she's won twice. So super legit. And at the point that this was produced, she had already won those Oscars. So she, yeah just like at the top of her game. She got her very first credit, 23 years old, for a film called Tall Story. And then from there, I mean, she doesn't have, like in terms of being somebody who's been in the industry for a while and having done just like very well for herself, I think she's pretty selective um, in the projects that she takes on because like for somebody that, again, has basically been in the industry her whole life, she doesn't have like, 100 plus credits like I, th- I think I think it was something around 60 60 something okay um but in any case some like really well-known properties like so she was in Capaloo I already mentioned she was in the film version of Barefoot in the Park already mentioned Barbarella mm-hmm. so her first Oscar nomination for best actress was for the film they shoot horses don't they do they they do okay they do shoot that's the wait, on occasion that's the title 
They shoot that horses, is, don't yeah. they? That's okay. come up before. We've had that it, film come up before. Yeah, I think so. Then she wins for Best Actress for the film Clute. She's in the like original version, because I know that there was a remake, uh, Fun with Dick and Jane. Yeah, that was with... Um... Yeah, yeah. It wasn't They're... bad. I remember seeing it. It's with, uh, if I remember. Jim Carrey and yeah. Tia Leone. Mm-hmm. Leone? Leone? Tia Le- Le- now you're making me trip over it. Tia Leone. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a bad remake. No. It's an enter- entertaining. Okay. So she gets another Oscar nom for Julia. She gets her second win for Best Actress for Coming Home. She gets, I mean, she just was like, boom, 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 boom. Like <laughs> every single film she did, she was getting a nomination or a win. So then after coming home, she gets another nomination for The China Syndrome. Then she gets another Oscar nomination, this time for Best Supporting Actress. It's the only one in all of her nominations that's for Best Supporting instead of uh, Best Actress for On Golden Pond. And. Hmm. What's really, I think, special about that is that she was nominated alongside her father. Yeah, that is super cool. Really, really, really cool. Yeah. Um, he he won. Uh, and at that point, had he already passed? He he was very sick when they were filming on Golden Pond. Um, that was his last credit. But I think that's like super super special that she gets to have that. She was in Agnes of God, and then she gets her last Oscar nomination so far. Uh, for scared me. Yeah, yeah. So far, she's still super active. Um, for the morning after, she was in Stanley and Iris. She then, so if you look at her acting credits, like she has a couple credits from I believe 1990. She takes a 15 year break, and then she comes back strong in 2005. Our guest had brought it up. She's in Monster in Law. Yeah, with uh, Jennifer Lopez. She's very sassy. She's great in that movie. Yeah. She, I mean, it's hard to like. I mean, that's what I that's what I find so interesting about this film because Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton, they, I mean, they're just like all playing together so well. But I gotta say, like, no disrespect to Jennifer Lopez, but like when you're playing alongside Jane Fonda, you're gonna get overshadowed by Jane Fonda. I mean, she's just a force to be reckoned with. Uh, she was in the TV series. Um, yeah, and so actually that's what's kind of interesting about her career is like she was very much like what you would call a film star. Very much, yeah. Yeah, for most of her, her career. But recently she's transitioned a little bit more into TV. Um, she was on the newsroom and then a show that I really love that she's currently in called Grace and Frankie alongside... Lily Tomlin. Yes, yeah. the next person that we're bringing up, Lily Tomlin. So Tomlin plays Violet Newstead in this particular film and you know samesies like and i had a actually really long a hard time as i can see right here of nearing down all her credits um so unlike fonda who i think probably would be considered firstly a dramatic actress yeah i think so yeah i think so i mean she's obviously really good at comedy but um tomlin is very much known for comedy Mm -hmm. uh so among her credits so it's her first credit, though it's uncredited. I had to put this in here because this is the most wild name for a project. Scarecrow in a Garden of Cucumbers. <laughs> I don't even know what that could be about, but uh, that is the name of the film. She's a telephone vo- voice. That's Un- all. Yeah. Okay. So maybe she was cut since she's uncredited. Anyway. Okay. So Do she... you want to know the just the blurb? Yes, on, please. On, uh 
scarecrow in a garden of cucumbers. Yeah. An aspiring actress from Kansas comes to New York and meets a host of zany characters. Wow. So they really... There's, there's neither a scarecrow yeah. nor, nor any cucumbers in this entire yeah, movie. That's... Uh... I was on board. But then I read that and I'm... An interesting choice that was made yeah. for title. Okay. It got us interested. It got us interested. We almost watched it. Yeah. Just based on that title. <laughs> Shit, we were so close. So close. I was close adding to it to the queue. <laughs> so she was in the TV series Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Uh, very early on in her career. I mean, she is an Oscar nominated actress. So she got an Oscar nom for Best Supporting in Robert Altman's Nashville. Great hmm. movie. Have you ever I, seen Nashville? I don't think I have. I, I know the the movie that I first saw her in that I most identify her with was actually the movie right after 9 to 5. Uh, All of Me? The Incredible Shrinking Got Woman. it. Okay. Yeah. And that was the next credit I had. Yeah. So then she has this amazing stint of crazy, fun, entertaining comedy films that she's in throughout the 80s. So, like you said, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, All of Me, Big Business. Then she's in Shadows and Fog, The Player, Shortcuts, Flirting with Disaster, Getting Away with Murder. Mm. Um, Wanted to bring up that she had a 21-year stint working on also Sesame Street. and That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. She has a long history of Sesame Street. Um, I, I don't want to say primarily, but... Often enough, it was her character of Edith Ann. Okay. So that's that's like kind of how she was associated. She, uh, you know, does voice work. She's been on the TV series The Magic School Bus. Uh, she was also on the TV series Murphy Brown. She goes back to some mm. movies. She does Tea with Mussolini. Mussolini. Tea with Mussolini. I Heart Huckabees. Uh, she's in another Altman film, A Prairie Home Companion. I think that was his last film. I want to say. And then she's done just a ton of television recently. She was in The West Wing, Damages, Malibu Country. Uh, she comes back, voice work for The Magic School Bus Rides Again. And then, currently, as we just said, for Fonda, she's in Grace and Frankie. She plays Frankie and Fonda plays Grace. And in uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, she voiced Aunt May. Oh, good pull. Yeah. I skipped over that. Okay. That's cool. All right, so moving on to the last of our three amazing female leads, we have Dolly Parton, who plays Dora Lee Rhodes. Who is fantastic and Ugh. steals every scene that she's, she's in. She's so this. good. Yeah. She's just a natural. Like, she's yeah. just great in this movie. She's, it looks like she's just having fun, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, really enjoying herself. Um, you know, we brought this up when we were talking about Cher, and I think, at least in the way that I view them, it's really similar because, like, when somebody says the name Dolly Parton, I'm thinking singer. Singer and songwriter. Yeah, both kinds. Country and Western. <laughs> um, and so that's, like, where my mind first goes. But she does have a, you know, pretty lengthy acting resume. I mean, she has 57 acting credits on IMDb. That being said... 50 of them are her and Kenny Rogers. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> actually really similar to Cher, where yeah. they will list a music video yeah. as an acting credit. And there's like at least a dozen, if not more, of those. that. So, 
you got to factor that in. You but do. that still leaves her with a lot of legit acting credits. Um, and then also to kind of circle back to when we were talking about music uh, for the film, you know, no no disparaging at all of Mr. Fox and, and the contributions that he made. But when people say music for 9 to 5, they're obvious, like probably most of them are thinking about the, the titular song. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think they used any of uh, his music in Deadpool 2. But they did use 9 to 5. So, yes. Uh, such a beloved and well-known song. And not that I think she was doing it in a um, uh, backhanded way, but she basically was like, I'll be in the movie, but I want to do the song for it. Yeah. And I don't think that was a problem. Like I said, when we were talking with Susan, I think that, that they were like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so Here's how I, I imagine it. Jane Fonda directing all of this, leading all this, saying like, hey, you want to be in this movie? Maybe do a song? Yeah, I'll do the movie. Can I do the song? Jane Fonda's like, yeah, do the song. <laughs> and she got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah, it's a great uh, song. It's a great song. So she got an Oscar nom for Best Original Song for this movie. She has another Oscar nomination, again, for Best Original Song for the film Transamerica. So wanted to get that out of the way. But in terms of her acting credits, so we do have her in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Rhinestone, a Smoky Mountain Christmas, Steel Magnolias, mm. Straight Talk, Frank McCluskey CI. Interesting. Joyful Noise, Dollywood's A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that actually. Yeah. I, I think so too. Yeah. The TV series, Dolly Parton's Heartstrings, and then Christmas on the Square. So she definitely has a certain kind of niche that she seems to gravitate towards. And I think people, I mean, people just love her. D deservedly so. She's uh, a national treasure. She was in the Beverly Hillbillies, 1993's Beverly Hillbillies, as Dolly Parton. Yeah, she has, I think, a couple credits where she's just herself. Yeah. Um. So I just kind of, I did skip over those. But yeah, no, it's good to, thank you for adding that. <laughs> okay, so Dabney Coleman, he actually is somebody that we talked about. I mean... Not necessarily recently, but uh, I think it was like our very first episode of season two because we did Tootsie. Mm -hmm. And so he is in Tootsie. If you want to hear us talk about him uh, as it regards that particular film, we encourage you to go to our Tootsie episode. So it's been a minute. Um, I will go through his credits. I mean, we were talking with Susan and saying like he's 89, still going strong. In this film, he plays Franklin Hart Jr. So he started out with a ton of TV work. He was in the film The Scalp Hunters. He was in the TV series Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman. Not sure. What Is there even a that... comma? There is a comma. Okay, There good. is a comma. Whew. And here's what's interesting is that he's in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and then also a different TV series called Forever Fernwood. He plays the same character. Oh, I like that. It's not like a John Smith. It's a very specific name, Merle <laughs> Jeter. So I'm like, well, it's got to be the same person. So I'm I mean, very... I love connecting all these things anyway. So when they do the work for me and yeah. just have the same name for the character, it makes it even easier. So I'm like, I'm kind of curious what that's about. And then... This came up um, when we were talking with Susan. Like, Fonda really enjoyed working with Coleman. And so uh, he became her love interest on on Golden Pond. Oh, okay. So he's in that. 
Young Doctors in Love, just mentioned Tootsie, War Games. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had a great 80s. Great 80s. He was in the TV show Buffalo Bill. Hmm. I'm not sure if that has any connection to the serial killer from Silence of the Lambs. Well, it's his name, but... It's his nickname. Yeah. Nickname. Uh, he was in the film Dragnet, TV series. I mean, lots of TV work. The Slap Maxwell story. Don't Slap know Maxwell. It. All right. Um, I've heard of this one, Drexel's Class. I wonder if he was Drexel. I feel like he might have been. He was. He was Otis Drexel. Okay. So he was the guy. It was his class. It was his class. Okay. Madman, Madman of the People. And then a couple movies you've got mail inspector gadget and then more recently his tv work includes the guardian and boardwalk empire and here's the reason why i brought up dolly parton playing dolly parton in the beverly hills hillbillies Mm -hmm. because he actually played milburn drysdale also in the beverly hillbillies oh boy i must have some kind of deep-seated uh (laughs) something against the beverly hillbillies because i skipped that one too for him i i didn't really like the the movie was okay but man i watched the that show just the the old reruns corny tv show the reruns yeah it was just always on i think that's maybe why i feel the way i do because like i remember the reruns and i did not enjoy them like i (laughs) made a point of avoiding them and so i can very confidently say i've never watched the film version either yeah well teach their own now it's okay if other people love it now you have at least two reasons to watch it no <laughs> all right so moving on to sterling hating hayden i should say um so he's credited as tinsworthy but really he's chairman of the i think that's how people would know him he's chairman of the board colonel sanders yes basically yeah <laughs> basically colonel sanders um i mean Crazy long career, um, some amazing credits. I think there's one, obviously I'm going to bring it up, but one character in particular that we all know him from. So to go through some of those credits, he's in the Asphalt Jungle, Johnny Guitar. Uh, He's in Top Gun. What? But. Damn it. The 1955 Top Gun. Did you know that there was a 1955 Top Gun? My head is spinning right now. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I mean, it could be about something completely different. It may not have anything to do with like what the 86 Top Gun it, is. But. It, it's about a gunslinger. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um, he was in The Killing, Zero Hour, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb. Okay. Here's the film that I think everybody knows him from. The Godfather. He's in The Godfather. Oh, okay. So yeah, who do you think he is in The Godfather if you're... Oh my God. Um, I don't know. I don't know. He's McCluskey. He's the cop that, yes. uh, that punches Michael then and uh, gets shot. Spoilers. He gets shot in, a, <laughs> in the yes, restaurant. Yes, he does. Wow. He gets shot to the, uh, to the neck, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, looks, uh, he looks really different when he's uh colonel sanders yeah, it was the so, beard and the out, so yeah. much garb on him yeah that it's wow. like hard to recognize him that's amazing yeah he's mccluskey um what i thought was interesting i didn't know this that they had a tv miniseries called the godfather saga and he reprises his role well how'd that happen i don't know it must be a prequel <laughs> of some kind because i'm like i don't know how that works but um, i feel like the whole reason for michael going on his little trip was uh you know killing this cop it must be something leading up to 
off that. But no one even cared about the other guy that he killed. No, I mean, well, I think they e- equally were like happy to have them out of the picture. Uh, the because, headlines were like, "This guy killed a cop," well, and then yes. like in really small it's, print, this other dude because was also the other guy dead. was like underground, you know, yeah. like drug dealer. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's also in The Long Goodbye, The Outsider. Here's what I thought was really interesting about him, and it makes sense. As I was going through his credits, just off of the way that the character names are listed, I was like, huh, this is so interesting. He had about 15 military slash police roles. Wow. Where he's like, sergeant, colonel, captain chief like where when they're uh referenced that way i was like oh that's so interesting and yeah like he i think just had that kind of vibe to him which i get i mean he uh, well, one of those roles was mccluskey even in uh nine to five he was a colonel <laughs> i didn't add that one i didn't <laughs> add that one but yes technically um okay so lastly we're coming upon elizabeth wilson who plays Roz. uh Roz being kind of the eyes and ears of heart even she's a narc total narc i mean when i say eyes and ears like i feel like she took it upon herself more so than even heart really cared for yeah no she was she was like uh female dwight yes from the office yeah great way of putting it yeah um and you know we talk about her and kind of that that dynamic um, in the film, I mean, look, it's it's hard to play a character where there's not a lot re- that's redeeming about you. Um, I know that you said that uh, Dabney Coleman enjoys playing bad guys because they're just more fun. Yeah. And maybe Wilson felt the same about Roz, but Roz is just a super unlikable character. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there's really nothing like every time you see her like, oh, do we even need her in this movie? Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, like there's that book, Save the Cat, where it's like, you know, you always want to have like a little something that's like. Uh, relatable or something that's positive about a character. There's just like nothing about her that I gravitate towards. I mean, while I'm watching the movie and, you know, the main characters are trying to get through all these hijinks, there was never really a concern in my mind. Like, Roz is not taking this down. No. She's not. She's I, she's going to add something to the mix, but yeah. I do think, though, that she's an interesting character and in that I was like, why is she the way she is? Like, why Why is she this narc? Like, why does she feel like her only value comes from being this type of person? Like, it didn't have to be that way. You want a Roz prequel, don't you? I was very interested in her character. And I mean, <laughs> they do a pretty good job with the leads um, of giving backstory, you know. Uh, and I know that that was intentional, especially for Fonda saying that, like, her character is based on, you know, a lot of women in the late 70s, early 80s who found themselves, like, widowed or divorced. Yeah. And having to enter back into the workforce and really feeling like they they were initially floundering. So that's like who her character is. And they, you know, they make that really clear with her divorce. And then, um, you know, Dolly Parton's character, basically, like, she seems to be in a happy relationship. She seems to have a partner that's loving and supports her. Um, you know, she keeps saying like she needs the job. Uh, I don't really know what's going on there. But then you have, like, I mean, I think the strongest backstory is definitely for Tomlin's character, I mean, I find that so interesting that they, you know, say that she's this widow. She has four kids. Um, her kids are super cool, too. Her kids her, are so cool. Here, Mom, take a joint. 
I that might be one of my favorite scenes in the film. I yeah. love when she is like setting up their garage opener, and then she's just having this like com- like it's I there love and gone that. so fast. Yeah. but but yeah, her her character felt like as complete as anything mm-hmm. in the movie, and the interaction with her kids gave it like this sense of reality, an otherwise like really wacky movie. Mm-hmm that I, I really enjoyed that. It, I mean, maybe it wasn't realistic that her kids were like giving her a joint, but in another way, maybe that was totally I, real. I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed that scene. Yeah. I, I love that they showed that side to her. Um, I think so, they, uh, they showed us that just so that we knew where the expertise yes. with garage door openers would come mm-hmm. from. And also you had to have the joint in there somewhere. Like yeah. you had to have her in possession of a joint. <laughs> yeah, so her teenage kids give her a joint so they can get high and think of all the ways to kill their boss. Exactly. So, okay, so coming back to Elizabeth Wilson, who doesn't have that same kind of backstory, uh, among some <laughs> of her credits, we have uh, the film The Birds. She's in The Birds. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. She is in a TV series called East Side West Side. Hmm. She is uh, Benjamin Broddick's mother in The Graduate. Hmm. She's in Catch-22. She's in another TV series called Doc. She's in the film The Incredible Shrinking Woman. So she reteams with Tomlin. Uh, she's in The Believers, Regarding Henry, The Adams Family, Quiz Show. And then her final credit, um, she is no longer with us, hmm. was Hyde Park on the Hudson. Hmm. So, okay. Uh, Derek. Yeah. Film synopsis. Oh, yeah. What do we got? All right. Three female employees of a sexist, egotistical, hypocritical bigot find a way to turn the tables on him. I mean, what I like about that is that they take the description of Dabney Coleman straight from what the characters actually say to his face. (laughs) So, yeah, I got I got no problem with this one. I thought that that was actually pretty funny because, you know, it's especially after a very recent screening of the film, because well, they do say it a number of times, so it probably maybe would stick anyway. But yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that's like exactly what they say to his face in the film. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think they do a pretty good job of you know setting it up without like getting a little too in the weeds with the details, and sometimes they do that. The movie gets out there at times, like especially the the um like the the dream sequences or the the drug fueled fantasy sequence felt like it was like a full half hour between all of them a very long interlude yeah it was a significant portion of the movie yeah so there's a lot going on but ultimately it does all boil down to exactly what that synopsis says Mm -hmm. i mean that is something that you know this comes up almost with every episode about like what they did during that era that probably wouldn't happen today and I think that there would be too many people saying, you got to speed up this section. Yeah. Like, this is just dragging. Um, and it wasn't, like, dragging for me, but I did note, like, wow, this is a pretty extended uh, section of the film that yeah. isn't... I mean, because, look, we are. it's already been established that they hate him. It's already been established that they would rather him just be gone. And so all these fantasies that they have, they're fun and they're entertaining... It could have been but, uh, trimmed down a little bit. Yeah, maybe. they didn't have to necessarily be there. Because they were like full, like little short story interviews. Yes. Each, each one of them, each of the three separate. Yeah, yeah, so even if they were like, okay, well, no, no, no. We want to have these like fantasy sequences. They could have at least trimmed the actual sequence. But it's fine. It's fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just, yeah. I'm like, wow, this is going on a while. It is. It did go on a while. So, 
Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up, I mean, we've already talked about how this was Parton's uh, first film, but the other kind of like fun fact that I came across, which I don't know, it's kind of a tricky thing. So it it's called the first female dominated film mm. to gross 100 million. So the film, you know, in case people weren't aware, like the film was wildly successful. The film did really, really well. Okay. Um, so it was a huge success. But the reason why I kind of take pause with that description is because it's like, okay, well, what are we qualifying as like a female-dominated film? I guess because, yes, there are three female leads. That is pretty unusual. But then I immediately was thinking of like, you know, the movie Alien. It eventually becomes Sigourney Weaver's film. It becomes her franchise. It becomes her franchise, for sure. Yeah. But that film grossed over $100 million and that precedes. Um, I think they're probably just talking about the, maybe the, the number female, of women. The cast. Yeah. 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 I just think it's like... I think it's just marketing speak. You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> There's like... I, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I just thought that was kind of an interesting like fact to bring up, but... Um, and they were like targeting those issues in a way that you know True. something like alien wouldn't wouldn't have been unless the alien had some misogynistic thing going on that we didn't even know about <laughs> well there is that one scene yeah with, yeah yeah um unnecessary unnecessary i mean yeah why you gotta uh, do it like that why you gotta do it like Xenomorph? that yeah um very similar to the evil dead uh that's worse it's worse. it's worse. it is worse yeah it is worse yeah. maybe it was inspired by it. um yeah i mean it is interesting because like between those two films both have strong women but in alien you know there's no there's no reference to that there's no and even like them not i think we've talked about this before them not listening to her when she's like you gotta quarantine i can't let you in i don't think that they're dismissing her because she's a female i think they're dismissing her because they really want their friend to be okay well and that they're... was ashu over it because he had orders from and the company. he had orders and yeah. also i just want to say that I never anticipated a nine to five <laughs> alien comparison, well, but now I love it. I think it's interesting because, like, yeah, there's no reference of the fact that she is, you know, a woman and she is so strong and she is the sole survivor of this situation. Whereas nine to five, that is in every scene of the movie, you know, referencing the fact that it's these yeah. strong women who are you know, dealing with like a sexist world and trying to just like get by. And and so it's just a different kind of movie in that it's very, very at the forefront yeah. of the movie. But in any case, montage. Yeah, there's one right at the beginning. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. what I, and that's what I was going to bring up. I mean, um, I feel like it's a, it a really strong open to the film. I mean, first of all, you immediately get that great song. Mm -hmm. There's no delay whatsoever. <laughs> no, like, like as soon as it starts the rolling. Beat drop. Yep. <laughs> it's it's the song. And then it sets up really well what we are going to be seeing because you just keep seeing it it's a montage fully of women on their way to work in the morning. Office hell montage. Yeah. And just all the little things, like you get the woman who spells coffee on herself and, you know, just, I mean, look, a guy can spell coffee on himself as well, but it just, I think, sets up really well the types of struggles that we're going to see our main characters encounter um, as they go through this story. So I thought that it was really well done and 
very quickly tells you like what you can probably anticipate from this movie. It was an excellent song and a great montage. <laughs> so on that note, yeah. let's get into it with Susan. Let's do it. All right. We are so very excited to have with us today Susan Gorell. Susan is the executive director of the Julian Dubuque International Film Festival. Thank you so much for being with us today, Susan. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm really excited about this one. Um, this was Susan's pick, and I was so thrilled when you brought this up because, I mean... We've had a couple movies where women play a prominent role. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that this is very different from any we've had so far. And the fact that this is a 1980 movie. So <laughs> it's it's 1980 and it I'm sure it was made in the 70s. And it kind of feels like it was made well, it was in the probably, 70s. It was probably made technically yeah, yeah. in 79. But, but in any case, we have some good stuff to talk about. So going to dive in. And the first question I have for you, Susan, is just, do you have a recollection of when you first saw this movie and just how you felt about it, like an initial reaction to it? That's a great question because I'm really going to date myself. <laughs> you don't I have to. This. <laughs> you don't have to give any kind of age or anything like that. Just, <laughs> just what your first I am. <laughs> um, you know, I probably I didn't see it like in the theater or anything. I was sitting sure. at home, and it was just an older. I've always loved Dolly Parton and mm -hmm. Jane Fonda, and um, so it just was. I think I was scrolling through something, and it was either on or. Um, I mean, this would be before, you know, Netflix and all that came around sure. and I just really loved, it. I thought it was hysterical, it made me laugh. I, you know, I love the power of the women, but just the three mm -hmm. of them together, which just was funny. I, so I'm so glad that like out the gate, you <laughs> brought up Dolly Parton because <laughs> like, I, I knew that this was, you know, kind of her, her first, I mean, she already obviously was a public figure and was comfortable in the spotlight, mm -hmm. but this being her first film I thought she did an amazing job. I, yeah, she was awesome. She really held her own. And mm -hmm. I'm curious, not to like play favorites, because I think <laughs> all three leads do an amazing job. But, you know, you mentioned both Fonda and Parton. Who do you mm -hmm. feel like really grabbed your attention? Because they do have like a shared, you know, they're all pretty equal as far as like lead time and time on screen. Yeah, I still Dolly Parton to me just stood out. I think because her accent, um, you know, not mentioning her figure was always sure. the, the topic of conversation yep. with everybody. And so, you know, people see her as a performer, but to see her as an actress, she really stood out. Where Jane Fonda has always been known for acting, and Lily mm -hmm. Tomlin's always been a great comedic actress. So I, I just think you really saw a fun part of Dolly, a, a comedic part of her. Um, that people didn't realize. I think what was she used to be on Hee Haw? I think it was or something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know that show, Susan, but it sounds like a good one. <laughs> there we go. To that age. <laughs> oh, Hee Haw! I think something like that. And so you always saw her there, but this really brought out a fun part of her. Well, you know, it's interesting because. Uh, the film we just did prior, there's like a little bit of similarity because we did Moonstruck. So it's another mm. film with somebody that is, you know, for, first established themselves as a singer. And yeah. and so I find it so interesting because, I mean, 
not going to drop any names, but it doesn't always work out that way where somebody is able to make a successful transition. And, you know, I know that in terms of acting parts, I mean, I know that Dolly eventually, like she did straight talk. Um, I'm not familiar with that film. I believe it's by the same screenwriter though. Same screenwriter wrote that um, for her. I did that with, uh, with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, uh, she was Burt in Reynolds. Uh, <sighs> the best little whorehouse in Texas. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes, yep. yes. And um, again, not familiar with this film, but she did, I think, something with um, Sylvester Stallone called Rhinestone. I believe. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've heard, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard things about that movie. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's, look, not every not every role is going to be a winner, but um, I do find it really interesting that these individuals who come from this other I mean it's you know just a different kind of creativity but that they've been able to parlay that into you know I she I totally agree with you she did a bang up job in in this film and you know it's something that we talked about during our Moonstruck episode I mean how do you feel when you're like it could be you know referencing this film in particular or just in general when you see somebody who might be kind of new to this world, but they're surrounded by, you know, other really strong actors. Like you mentioned Jane Fonda and mm-hmm. how she's always been known for her acting. So do you think there's some truth to the idea of like when you're, you know, acting alongside really established quality actors that that kind of raises your own level of acting? Yeah, I think so. But I think sometimes if you... um aren't to par what you need to be, then that other person's mm-hmm. going to overshadow you and you're kind of mm-hmm. forgotten. But, you know, I mean, when you take like Jane Fonda in, um, what was the movie with Jennifer Lopez, Monster-in-Law? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Jan- Jennifer Lopez clearly had the bigger name at that point um, with the younger generation and a certain, you know, generational group of people. But because Jane just bounced mm-hmm. off her so well. I mean, she, to me, was the best part of that movie. She was hysterical. Mm-hmm. And I saw a whole different part of Jane that I really liked in that movie, where I may not have liked her as much in other stuff. So I think in this circumstance, the you know, I think a film is so important to have a great ensemble. Mm-hmm. And they did, mm-hmm. between the three women. And then, of course, um, oh, what's his name? Yeah, he's so, he's just such a yeah. Great, yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> He, you know, you were able to uh, just that cast all together create that movie. I'm not so sure different actresses would have would have created the same um, energy. Totally agree. I mean, I think that that's why you know, look there. I I, I try to take a stand <laughs> for <laughs> for everybody else who is involved in a film because I know that the actors usually get you know the vast majority of the limelight. Um, yes. Maybe the director, but, uh, you know, so I try to stand up for everybody else who collaborates, but all that being said, obviously casting is so important and I totally agree with you. Just the chemistry between these three actresses was phenomenal. Yeah. Each, each one of their characters really felt like their own, Mm -hmm. you know, like they, Mm -hmm. they're. They they all kind of had like their stereotype, I guess, to mm-hmm. play, which they kind of broke through by the end of the movie. But I thought they all complemented each other really well. And I feel like we're just not giving enough credit to Peggy Pope as Margaret because oh. she <laughs> really stole like every That's scene true. that she was in. Do you know who he, which one he's talking about? Yes. The one that had a girl? Yeah. Had a girl. <laughs> That a girl. I'm okay. So well, well done, Derek, for bringing her up because she is. I mean, 
you know, Susan, you were saying that you, you know, laugh out loud at this film. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I mean, there's plenty of like funny films out there, but you know, I don't know if it's like sitting on your couch, you tend to laugh out loud at a lot of moments, but I was, um, this movie really holds up in its humor and, and obviously it doesn't just hold up. It's like, it's shockingly accurate yeah. for 2020. I was 2021. Really, yeah. Yes. Well, fair enough. I'm not, I, <laughs> Do not go back to 2020. Exactly. <laughs> We've moved on. Don't even of. say that. <laughs> it's uh yeah, no, it's just like this weird combination of mm-hmm. that's it's funny because it's still kind of a thing that you hear about mm-hmm. now, which makes it not funny, but then I have to laugh to not cry. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm back to laughing. Do you think that um would a film, could they do a remake like that? Would it be too PC? Like, you know, I look at films from mm-hmm. back in the 80s, you know, would there be any problem with those to do exactly the same? Or how would it change instead of doing a remake? How would it change? And would it be as funny if you changed it um, to fit today's atmosphere? Sure. No, that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, Derek and I typically watch the film like the night before we speak to our guest. And so we were just talking about yeah. that that very thing like could because that's something that comes up with like like you were saying you know usually with 80s movies i mean look we obviously love this era but often uh you know we'll talk about problematic things yeah. that are of of the era um and things that could not get remade i I don't know. You know, like, I think that's so interesting because, like, obviously, look, there's so much more conversation now around uh, equality and and, you know, allowing individuals who typically have not been given the opportunity, whether they're women, persons of color, whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be, to give them the opportunity to rise um, in the same way that, you know, traditionally, like, white males have. Mm So I. I don't know. I mean, what what yeah. do you think? Because I I feel like since there's so much conversation about it, to try to have a movie about it would feel well. I don't so, know. I mean, we we do bring up some you know aspects of some of the '80s movies that we cover where we're mm-hmm. like that wouldn't it just wouldn't fly today. They wouldn't mm-hmm. make it like that today. And I think there's a difference between using using things or targeting things for, for humor mm-hmm. where there's maybe a subject that is like the, the butt of a joke where, you know, now we, we just wouldn't do that. It's not appropriate. And I think there's a better understanding of how, uh, what was potentially intended as a joke can in fact be harmful. Mm-hmm. So I think in the case of nine yeah. to five, what they're primarily focused on is this imbalance of power between the men and women mm-hmm. specifically in this company, yeah. but just generally, and I think they could, I think they could do that. I don't know if, if they, I mean, they're, they're, we were talking about it last night and we brought up like horrible bosses where there, there have yeah, been like kind of, kind of <laughs> yes. a spiritual yeah. sequel, I guess. Yeah. So, and I think they, and I think they could, and I think they're like, I, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. I think it actually could benefit in some ways from getting like a refresh and how they present everything just inequality in the mm-hmm. workplace. Yeah. So I yeah. think it, I think it could, and I think it would be, you know, a pretty big contrast to a movie that never needed to be remade like Poltergeist. So yeah. we, we bash yeah. Poltergeist remake every chance. We get. <laughs> that chance was too good. really, really neither here nor there, but it comes up in almost every episode. Um, well, okay. So 
and yeah. I swear this is related. I don't want to get off the Dolly train just yet. So I'm curious, you know, out the gate, it opens with, you know, her iconic song and mm-hmm. of the same name. And so first of all, I'm just curious, um, do you do you like the song? Is that a song that <laughs> the nine to five song? <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, you know, the minute you said it. I'm already starting to sing it in my brain. I promise you I will not sing it out loud because I have not a singing voice at all, according to my grandmother. But uh, (laughs) I'm a worst singer ever. Um, But yeah, immediately when you said, I'm like, it's going in my head. Now I'm going to, it's going to be here all day. Dang it. And now I'm not going to be able to get rid of the damn thing. My apologies. (laughs) It it is though so catchy. I mean, obviously again, she is this incredible uh, singer and songwriter. So, um, you know, I know that she was like, well, I'll do the movie if I can do the song. I don't think anybody had a problem with that. Um, (laughs) I think they're probably like, sure, score. Um, I, what I found was really interesting because if I hear it on the radio or just, I don't know, in any other circumstance, I'm just kind of thinking about how catchy the song is, like how much I enjoy the song. Mm-hmm. But at that <laughs> opening montage where they're just, you know, they're showing women in New York City on their way to work every day, I had the opportunity to like really listen to the lyrics. And again, I was really astounded. Like I'm, I'm, somewhat paraphrasing but it was really interesting to me that like 41 years later these issues I mean it's kind of sad these issues are still coming up but like there are lines where it's like talking about you know I don't know the rich man and how your hard work is putting more money in his pocket look it's Mm -hmm. enough to drive you crazy if you let it (laughs) well done and when you said that line I actually sung it in my head so that was very good. <laughs> it was like, I was like repeating it. <laughs> oh, I just, it's so interesting to me between the song and just the movie as a whole, the way that they balance humor with these very real issues. And so I was curious, how do you feel about where that balance is struck? Did it work for you? Did you feel like it needed more humor or that it needed, you know, more of a serious tone to really, you know, bring more into the forefront these issues. Like, how did you feel about the the tone that was struck? In the film? Wow, that's really deep. Um, I think I just <laughs> watched it and laughed. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, totally I'm not fair. sure I thought of any of that at all. <laughs> um, I, but I think that brings to true of the 80s era, though. Yeah. Um, You didn't think about those sort of things. It Mm -hmm. was more done for entertainment. Um, I think, like you're saying, when you're looking at nowadays, it maybe it's more of a, you know, it might be more of a serious film because it is so serious in in what's happened. I I don't know. I guess. um, And of course, I was just so young when I watched it. You know, I'm still very young. Uh, Sure. We'll we'll put that out there. Yes. Of course. Um, course. But I, I just, I think I looked at it just in a total entertainment. I love comedy. Um, yeah. I love things that make me laugh. Yeah. And so um, I, I think I just looked at it that way. And then because I was a huge fan of Dolly Parton, and I'm not a real mm-hmm. country Western type music, sure. but I loved her. And mm-hmm. I think that's what drew me to it. And then, of course, everybody else just brought it together. But yeah, I don't know. Now, now I'm going to be puzzled all day long <laughs> um, and about um, the, this, the, the very 
deep undertone that question. No, actually, thinking, God, I should answer that better. <laughs> I no, not at all. I actually think that that's a really interesting response mm-hmm. because, in a way, I feel like that's a movie that did its job. Yeah, yeah. Because it was able to introduce these themes without being too heavy-handed about it, and mm-hmm. you were able to still just enjoy the film. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that you know. If pressed, everybody would say, yes, these are the issues that the film brings up, but it still is a fully enjoyable film. Now, what I and I always kind of take these things with a grain of salt because it's like a game of telephone. You don't know how many hands it's passed through. But I did read somewhere that the film because I don't know if you had I don't know if you had noticed like the first third of the film is like pretty Mm -hmm. grounded. You know, it's like it seems like real life. Right. Um, and I, then that copier did not feel like real life to me. The what? The copier. <laughs> oh, the copier. Yeah, that copier was insane. It was like alive. It was weird. Um, it was the yeah. biggest. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I have been in offices. I've worked long enough to where like office equipment was like huge, giant. Yeah, but that mm-hmm. just uh, that that copier cracked me up. Not even for like the kind of the slapstick comedy, but just see, like visually seeing a copier that big cracked me up. I'll say this much: collating <laughs> is a real problem. Like not I with feel that like... copier, <laughs> not with that one, and it had staples. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've worked in office settings, and it is, I don't know. I mean, I just never had any luck with the. But in any case, um, you know, so it brings up real. I mean, that's supposed to, I know, be a lighter moment, but overall, it felt like the first part of the film is like very grounded, and then it becomes kind of this slapsticky you know heightened reality the marijuana really changes the movie <laughs> yeah it really it's a really <laughs> interesting you were okay. in the movie <laughs> yes, that, yes. It, no, but that, it's a funny way to because it's like was this all a fever dream you know like after yeah. they what i yeah i don't want to get too far ahead but all of their fever dreams reflected what they actually did like yeah Jane Fonda mm-hmm. with the gun, then she's actually shooting at him, and obviously yes. the rap season, and then you know Dolly Parton and the roping. So it was it was interesting. I don't think I noticed that the first time I saw it, just how like closely their their like weed dreams paralleled what they actually did to to Mister Hart. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> yes. it, it is an interesting way that it actually played out in some on some level in real life. Yeah, but how Susan, how did you feel? Like, did it did it was it something that you clocked, um, or did it? flow really well for you where it kind of does pivot a little bit from like a more grounded storytelling to this like really kind of um rambunctious yeah exactly exactly yeah Yeah, I mean I think when you're first watching it I wasn't you're right it was more of a serious when I look back now it's more of a serious undertone you think that I mean Mm -hmm. still lighthearted but just more of what's true to that time period and then just became this crazy um funny piece I you know again it's it's funny I'm um that when I look back things movies like I haven't actually watched it for a while it just I always remember it made such an impact on me because I just loved <laughs> I go back to Dolly Parton I almost sound exactly. like a stalker like I just no! love Dolly Parton I'm gonna have like the FBI at my door um, not at all <laughs> she's like, again she she shines in this movie yeah and she was just so um funny I just really liked her and I think that's as a kid, you know, younger, watching that, that was just an impact. And I, I'm trying to think too, if it made me, when I look, when I think about it now, mm-hmm. I think more on the impact of these three strong women coming yeah. together and going after him. That, that yeah. you can see that. And it probably means more now as an adult 
mm-hmm. than when you were younger watching it. Um, I don't even think you two were born yet when I was watching it. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> coming from that perspective. Um, yeah, I think as a kid, I was just laughing and, you know, thinking it was funny and loved, you know, what they were doing. Um, and to me, acting is really important in a film, especially mm-hmm. with the festival. Um, acting is so important. And I feel like if you even have one actor that's bad, it just throws the whole story mm-hmm. off. So having all of them work together just really made me happy when young, but I can appreciate it more now as an adult. I totally agree. I mean, if you're watching this at a younger age and maybe, and maybe, you know, there's a certain point where like, you're not, I I don't know. I feel like the themes presented are pretty, are presented in a pretty clear fashion. That being said, if you're younger, you're maybe thinking more about the farce element of it and kind of the outrageousness of the, like the last two thirds of the film. Um, totally agree with you that as you get older, you're looking more at like at those issues that are being presented. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you're though, like, yeah, like, get them, you know, go yeah, for exactly. them. Yeah, exactly. I wish I could I do mean, that with my boss. <laughs> well, that actually is so interesting. So like we, we've been talking about, <laughs> we've been talking about, um, and I do, I do want to take a moment at some point to, um, really dive into Lily Tomlin because she, I, I just yeah. am so enamored by her, but, um, Dabney Coleman, Yes. How are you? A, I know you said you're a Burt Reynolds fan. Are you <laughs> the younger mustache? Yeah. <laughs> Dabney always seemed to do, didn't he do like a lot of Disney type films? It seemed like you always saw him. It's kind of like Kurt Reynolds, Kurt, not Kurt Reynolds, Russell. Kurt Russell. Yeah. Always did those, you know, Disney. I feel like Dabney always had that certain type of genre, a certain thing he did. Um, and yes, I, I just, an ode to Burt Reynolds. I adore him. So my father looked like Burt Reynolds. So just always, Aww. yeah, I mean, look too, it just, it's funny. I was like, oh my God, that's my dad. Oh, <laughs> he's, yes. I mean, you're right. And, um, I think there is this one Disney film, but the, the... he was in Cloak and Dagger, which was a Disney okay. film. Okay. Yes. There you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. The name was escaping me. That movie oh, it keeps coming out. We've not seen it, but no, he, he had a really spectacular early 80s especially i mean yes. we um covered him earlier this year because we did tootsie oh so, London, tootsie he's great oh comedically he's great timing yes. yeah and that's yes. so important yeah. i think in comedy you gotta have the timing and he always just had that his facial everything about him just he had all that comedic elements totally agree and i love how he seems to embrace being the bad guy, he likes, the baddie. Yeah, he's actually he likes about, being tied up. Yeah, he yeah likes, maybe he does. <laughs> he's he said before that he likes playing uh, bad characters or creeps because they're just more fun. They're fun, more interesting. Yeah, yeah. To, to play those, which makes me think, like, I sounds like he's probably a good guy, and yeah. he's still with us. He's still and yeah. he's still he working. Still yeah, yeah. 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 That's what we're asking that is you alive, Dabney? Well, that, you know, that's, it. Is, that is the one unfortunate part of doing a podcast where you're covering 80s movies yeah. is that yeah. um, we've had a couple uh, episodes where it was just, you know, a, a real downer because a lot of people are well, no longer with us. I mean, but, some of the yeah. movies that we've covered involve actors who were approximately 150 years old when they were in the movie. Sure. So sometimes <laughs> so, they're already much, much so older in like, the 80s. What do you want, so you know? I know, you know, you can't anyway. Um, but yeah, he's still <laughs> he's still very active, which is awesome to see. Um, and then obviously, you know, we have, of course, gratefully, thankfully, 
um, you know, Dolly, Jane, and Lily are all with us. I was curious. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I, I want to speak to your point because you're so right about comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is something that I really picked up on uh, watching it this last time is just the, I mean, I think in part maybe it comes from the comfort that these actors all seem to have with each other. Uh, yeah. They seem to all really trust each other, which I think plays into, you know, delivery of lines, the timing of that delivery, you know, and also them all really being game for yeah. what ends up being a pretty outrageous movie. Um, yeah, do you think they improved any of that? I mean, like well, that seems to be a big question. thing now. I'm wondering if they improved a lot of um, the conversation hmm. and yeah, I, I don't know. It just That's was so very, interesting. I feel like That's the a good scene question, where, huh? It's a great question. <laughs> where Jane Fonda's husband in the creepiest, stalkerest way possible admits to actually like stalking her for a couple of yeah, days. Yeah, he's before. like, I, I cased the house oh. for a few days. But when, when they like <laughs> hear the like, noises, what? when Dabney Coleman, when, yeah. when Hart is trying to escape and they're like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he he opens the door and and like mm-hmm. sees it and he's like, "Are you into all this S and M?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm into all of it." Yeah. I feel like things like that, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that in the movie probably would have lent itself really well to uh, to just to improv. improv and trying different and when, cuts. Probably hands down, my favorite line is when she's like, "Yeah, I'm into M and M's," and yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's amazing, amazing." Um, so, so funny. I mean, the reason why I thought that that was such a, in part, a really interesting question is because you have in your main cast people coming from really different backgrounds. Like you have mm-hmm. Fonda who completely grew up in the industry. And I, I mean, I'm kind of making a little bit of an assumption here, but like, you know, understands that, I mean, you know, the world of film is certainly not like the world of theater where the playwrights, you don't change what a playwright writes. Um, Yeah. I mean, what they write is what you say. Um, Right. That's not the case in film, but I'm assuming that maybe there's a little bit more of an understanding that like you don't necessarily go off script unless that's understood that you can. So maybe she comes from that background. Then you have Dolly, who, from what I read, she actually memorized the entire script. Wow. She thought that that's, what you do i thought until just now is that not what you do that haha uh, uh, you know wait are you looking uh, at me not. seriously yeah i don't know <laughs> i figure you just memorize it all i mean look there's probably some actors that it helps them get a better sense of the story but no you just you read know? up for like whatever you're shooting for that day well and then you have people mm. um what is the gentleman's name sterling hayden um yes so yes. uh, chairman of the board who at that point yep. could not memorize any lines. So they had his lines like he, he was doing <laughs> like paper. paper. <laughs> yeah. He was like, um, uh, oh, my goodness. I can't believe I'm ble- Marlon Brando oh. in his later career where like he just had like people literally had lines like taped to their chest for Marlon Brando to read off of. So oh, gosh, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, he, I mean, it, it's such a weird thing, right? Because it's mm. like he was this amazing actor. I'm like, you couldn't even memorize your lines, buddy. But it's not the memorization. It's the delivery. It's the delivery. It's the delivery. But, so, but then you have, you know, back to your question, you have people certainly like Tomlin who come from a comedic background mm-hmm. where improv is a very 
very embraced part of it, you know? So I think that's really interesting. I'm not sure how much was. I think with comedic actors, a lot of them, and and I think great comedy comes when improv, when they have a little bit of freedom. And I think it just depends on your director, obviously too. Um, You know, if they're going to allow that and, and, and have how many cuts you can do to, (laughs) you know, when you're shooting. So I don't know. I think sometimes um, for me, I think when comedy is natural, and they're able to put that spin and kind of add to it. I think that makes it even fu- more funny. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think so. But I, I would be interesting to know if they had done any improv because they really worked well together. And mm-hmm. and also, how, did they have any rehearsal time? Like, were they hanging yes. out? Good question. You know? Statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of rehearsal. Did they get to? Did they hang out outside of the set just to get to really? Because they just all three blended very well together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes me wish that Dolly was in the sequel to nine to five, Frankie and Grace. Oh. <laughs> is it Grace and Frankie? I got the names right at least. I mean, it's better yeah. than Frankie and Johnny, which yeah. is what you've called. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> actually, so that that's a good segue to kind of bring Tomlin back in the fold. Um, yes. I'm just cur- off the top of, uh, well, out of curiosity. Have you watched that show at all, Susan? The Grace and Frankie uh, show? Frankie, Gra- you know what? I... I, the short answer is no, um, okay. but I've seen it. I've been like cross. I'm like, oh, I really like them. I should watch that. Um, you know, I this is awful to say, but because with the film festival, I'm watching movies all the time sure. that I just don't watch other stuff. And then my um, husband does pyrotechnics in film. So, you know, oh, no. I'm very limited what? what he actually will sit down and watch with me. So, yeah, I I need to watch it. That was a very, you know, long answer to that very short no, question. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, look, there are so many hours in the day and you gave yeah. a perfect reason why <laughs> you can't just be sitting through Netflix all day. Um, I, the only reason I thought of it is because they obviously have great chemistry in the show yes. and, and you can see and a that. Good friendship. Yeah. And you can yeah. see that in the movie. And, and I don't know if it was possibly the first time they had worked together, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, that's that's why when I when I saw them in this, it made me think of the show. Just were there as much as I know about how nine to five came together. Really, I know that like Jane Fonda was the driving force behind it. Mm. She really yes. wanted to do this movie. It was her idea, wasn't it? Yep, think, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, she definitely, you know, as far as the director is concerned, I mean, look. Um, Mr. Higgins? Yes, yes. Um I I don't know how Mr. Higgins, Colin Higgins. Yeah. Um who also has a writing credit on it. Um you know, I'm not sure to what degree cuz you know, you normally think of the director as kind of the they're the driving force um right. behind a film. So I'm not sure what that balance was between him and Fonda, but I feel like if I get to work on anything with Jane Fonda, I'm just going to say, Jane Fonda, you do whatever you want to do. Like, <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to let her take the lead. Um, but uh, I would. Agree. Yes. As far as like how she brought in Tomlin um, and Parton and uh, Coleman, I'm not positive. Although what I do know is that she so enjoyed working with Dabney Coleman, that that's the reason why he plays her husband in On Golden Pond. Oh. Oh, that's yeah. a good little tidbit. Didn't yeah. Know that either. She really yeah. enjoyed working with him. And fact. so I think actually Lily Tomlin might have been the one who suggested him um, saying like he had, I mean, I guess this is like, you know, 80s 
whatever. But like Tomlin's like, he's very sexy. So <laughs> they probably Wait, have- who, in reference <laughs> to, who? to Dabney Coleman. So, I mean, I don't know if sexiness was supposed to be part of his character that you could would maybe see why Parton would like the, how hard it would be for her to resist. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think about the sexy. <laughs> I, and, I've never really thought of Dabney Coleman in that way, but because I think of no. him as like, he's the really funny, less sexy version of the not quite as funny, but sexier Burt Reynolds. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But Burt Reynolds is sexy. Yes. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, but you know, sometimes they're, uh, you know, does charisma, you know, being yeah. charismatic also make you look, sexy because yeah. totally. they're so funny and they're smiling yeah i dream about burt reynolds a lot i'm I, <laughs> I, along with dolly parton so i maybe that's where i'm going to get the stalking charges but <laughs> no, but that i mean between what you two both said like i agree with that like i understand why burt reynolds had developed this reputation as this like really sexy actor and mm-hmm. i'm actually remembering didn't he do some kind of um oh no i i don't want to get into tricky waters but did he do like a Playgirl centerfold or something oh, like that. I'm, you know, you might be right. I'm going to look up that issue when we're off this. <laughs> <laughs> and I will let you know. <laughs> I think he has covered, you know, the sensitive bits, but he has like a layout where Prefer sensitive bits. Oh, you mean like his nose? And exactly. His exactly. Okay. exactly. That's Just exactly what I was indicating. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. So, but I get why that's why his persona revolved around that i don't totally get that from dabney coleman but i think you're right i think that they're you know obviously charisma humor that sort of thing absolutely i've only seen dabney coleman in like the different roles he's played and so i don't know maybe if i saw dabney coleman and burt reynolds around that time just in real life i'd be like i get it well no i get it i mean there must be something there because um in Tootsie, he's dating Jessica Lange, you know, and yeah, she's it's like, beautiful. she's amazing. She's gorgeous. So it's like, there must be something about Damney Coleman. But um, actually, what made me what I that just triggered is I'd like to know, Susan, what were your thoughts on Mrs. Hart, his <laughs> wife? Oh. Remind who played her? Well, you know, that goes to show you I, she didn't leave any impact on me whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Marion Mercer. Okay. Marion Mercer. Yeah. I, you know, if you, I suppose like if you put that into a 2021 film, Marion Mercer would be like tying her husband up too and not yes. for good reason. Yes. Um, so she would be beating on him and, and, you know, and definitely be laying down some, uh, uh, papers and, and mm-hmm. suing him and taking all, all of his money. Um, I yeah, I don't think he even had any money. It was all I, hers. <laughs> it was all hers. I don't even remember her character, so she really didn't even leave a mark on my mind. So That's her awful. character, her character gave us one of the greatest and also strangest moments of the movie, which is when she comes home early from the trip that that Coleman did not want to go on with her. Mm-hmm. She comes home early and finds him tied up and. <laughs> She yeah. just says, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly it, it immediately yeah. takes us to this like crazy wide shot of like, I guess, a vacation property off a beach. And we're like, what, what's happening? It was a very just, strange transition. It finally like zooms in on her talking to, I think, uh, Dolly, right? To Dolly's character, yes. Dora mm-hmm. Lee, yeah. saying <laughs> like, 
you won't believe the crazy workout regimen that uh, Frank is into now. And then like, you're just left thinking this lady is, she's so clueless. I, I wonder like what she really, like, what is she bringing to the movie? Because like yeah. you said, you you yeah. can't even really like remember. Her. No. Do you not find the cut? It's so funny to hear you. Sorry. And I know you're going to say something very intelligent. <laughs> Like, can you? <laughs> so I don't mean to cut you off, but not do you not to laugh me. at the cuts? Um, how the editing editing of film has changed so much from back then till now. Oh yeah, based yeah. on what you just said. But anyway, oh, I'm throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> no, I that actually came up when we were yeah. watching. We were it. talking about a potential remake. That was one of the things as far as yeah. like how the, yes. the movie flows, which was probably not a like. A, People probably didn't think about it when they're watching right. it. And now when you see it, it, it does stick out as compared to how yeah. movies would be now. There were a couple moments um, <laughs> where I was like, what a weird <laughs> cut. What a weird yes. transition. You know, mm. like I just couldn't understand, like, how do they think that that's what makes the story flow? But um, yeah, very it, was just, it was just very confusing. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know how else to put it. Um, yeah, and it's changed so much. <laughs> but to the point, and actually really quickly, because I'm pretty sure, um, yeah, the gentleman who, you know, cut the film, Pembroke J. Herring. What a name. Yeah, what a name. <laughs> um, he was nominated for three Oscars. For this movie? No. Okay. No, no I was going to say, but, wow. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just interesting because I think that that shows that at the time it wasn't it wasn't bad editing. It was just a style choice yeah. that was very popular. Yeah, I, I think that comes across. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, I think that's an excellent like thing to clock is just how how odd the editing they, was and they played with the uh, speed, the mm -hmm, film speed too mm -hmm. in moments yes. for yeah. comedic effect. Yeah, like with whenever whenever Coleman's character is getting yanked up by that harness. Yes contraption yes they would like comically speed it up and when dolly's character was like roping him up same thing like there are these moments where i'm like i guess that was what they had to work with mm -hmm. so let's just uh let's just go 1.5 on this speed there's <laughs> definitely i mean i think that there's a little bit more liberty given when it's a comedy yeah yeah, yeah. you're not gonna do that in a serious like you're not gonna oh, do no. that in ordinary people you know, no. or something like that. But maybe so, you should. But yeah, maybe it should go faster. When I tie my husband up, I do it really fast. <laughs> and then move on. <laughs> and then I go <laughs> cook a dinner. <laughs> cook a but meal. To to your point about kind of the wife being this really forgettable character, I mean, I'm I have to admit that that's the one part of the movie that's like kind of a head scratcher for me. Like I get why the film kind of transitioned into a little bit more of this bombastic comedy. I did read that like earlier drafts, it was overall a darker film and they just honestly didn't think that audiences would go for that. And so they're like, we need to infuse a little bit more humor to keep the audiences invested. That's fine. I get that. But what I don't get is why you would create a character who unless she is meant to emate, maybe this is the impetus. She was meant to play this contrast to the three leads. Yeah. I, I have a hypothesis. Okay. I have a theory on this, which is they needed to create some conflict or tension as far as like why it was even worse. Like it's already bad that Dabney Coleman's character in a position of power is, is 
like trying to initiate this this interaction with Dolly's character. Mm-hmm. But now he's now he's married, so you can make you can kind of like up the the stakes for that a little mm-hmm. bit more because the like the comedy is of him getting caught and the wife coming in and not even realize like she walks in when he's on the floor and he just gave Dolly the mm-hmm. the scarf. scarf that Lily Tomlin bought for his wife. So I, I think they just they wanted to create these like additional moments of of comedy maybe without there being like real consequences. So she always has to be kind of like blissfully unaware because they didn't really want her for that part of it. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to create these scenes where, oh, it's kind of funny because is he going to get caught? And that's what they used her for over and over again. Like she wasn't really even around at the end when he no. goes to Brazil and is like killed. No. Well, he we wasn't don't... killed. We just don't know what happened to him. He's, he's no. not he... alive. He was in Weekend at Bernie's. He was Bernie. There is a similarity between those actors. Um, well, okay. So Susan, do you think that that was a, an effective choice then? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, I think I agree with what kind of what Derek's saying. I think she was meant to, if the other women are so strong because they're fighting against him, you know, he's got to have kind of this bimbo wife at home who's clueless. Um, That's how he kind of gets away with everything he does. Because if she was smart and strong like the other three women, then he would probably never get away with what he does because it would be stopped at home in a sense. Mm. um, I think. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. That that makes a lot of sense. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was. I guess I just normally gravitate yeah. towards like, well, no, like, don't make the wife this like clueless person. But that does make sense that if she was onto him, he would maybe be more in like she would check him. You know, it would and, totally yes. change the dynamic between yeah. him and yes. the other three. Yeah, and I so think they wanted sense. to maintain the focus on on that. Yeah, they had to have a ditzy wife. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. She was very, I mean, she was a a totally pleasant, nice person. She was. She was a really yeah. good person. I felt really bad for her. <laughs> um, I hope she got to stay. I just don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope she got She's to see New York City when Hart went off to Brazil. I but mean, I think it, tur- it turned out okay for her probably. I hope so. I choose to believe. Well, okay. So that actually brings up for me the other, like, pretty prominent female character in the film, Roz. Oh yeah, we gotta talk about Roz. Yeah. What a rat. So I'm curious yes. how Susan, you felt about her character and how she also, in a totally different way, mm. plays a contrast to the three leads. And yeah. just what you thought about her character. Yeah. Well, I hated her and wanted her to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty kid get rid of her (laughs) pretty strong Um, reaction i guess that's a that's positive like that's what films want (laughs) yeah i mean she was obviously a very jealous person you know she was ugly not as attractive as the other three Mm -hmm. didn't have dolly's boobs i mean she was Mm -hmm. not at all compared to any of them but uh no i think when you're i think you have to have characters like her though as far as her as a person and her acting obviously i'm joking but she is a very strong actress and handled what she did fantastically. I think she was her name, Elizabeth Wilson. She yeah. does a lot of kind of characters like that, that kind of eavesdropping, you know, tattletale kind of person. And she does a really good job at it. And yeah, I think she was strong. I mean, she obviously was more in my mind than the wife. Um, and, uh, but you know, you didn't like her. I just didn't like mm-hmm. her and you know, that kind of thing. So she did create some emotion with her, with the story. 
her character was, I felt like, I don't like this game, but this is the game and I'm going to play it the yeah. best I can. Whereas the other three were like, this game is bullshit and we're going to try to change it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting character because I think you do see individuals like that where I, I, the only thing I wish for her character, I mean, I totally agree with you, Susan, like she was such a disagreeable character. You don't really see her get any comeuppance for 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 her behavior i mean she in fact gets like an education in the french language like she gets (laughs) but um she did not get the german though she did not get the german but i mean i think that she does represent people whether it's you know a woman who feels like she needs to put down other women to get ahead or a yeah. man or who, like it could really be anybody. Um, but I think that she does play a really interesting character in that she's like, I'm going to look out for me. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and this is how I'm going to do it. And I think that she does represent people who are really out there in the world. And unfortunately, absolutely. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's, I mean, I agree. Not even 2020, but 2021. 2021. That's still, yes. I think, uh, I think that still happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I agree with you. I mean, you know, kudos to the actress because that's not easy to play. I, she's a very um, familiar looking uh, actor to me, but I can't say I know a lot of her roles ex- outside of this one. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I just remember always seeing her in that sort of you know, tattle tailing mm-hmm. type of, um, you know, character. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. she always seemed to play it. I'm just trying to think what I, when I last saw her in, but, or maybe she just has that face of a tattletale. Yeah. yeah. Casting directors like were like Adam's family, you know, quiz oh. show, those kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. She, I mean, she was so the happy effective. hooker. That one oh, everybody wow. remembers. Okay. <laughs> Um, There's a good one. <laughs> she was so effective in her role. And I, it, I mean, I, th- I feel like that's something we do kind of bring up with 80s movies is sometimes like certain storylines are just left unresolved. I feel yeah. like that doesn't happen as much. I feel like there's just too much um, influence from a studio or executive where they're like, well, you got to wrap up all the storyline. <laughs> you got to have, yeah. you have to have a conclusion. And like, we don't really know what happens to her. She we comes don't really... back and is just like shocked when she, cause it's like literally I, the end. Right? Yeah. And I think that's yes. like the last time we see her. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cause they're all drinking champagne in Hart's office. Yeah. And it's just yeah. her being shocked credits yeah so it's like i'm curious what happens wait they don't talk about like she doesn't get an epilogue right she does not yeah no no that's Um, something i was gonna say you don't really know what happened at the end with her i guess you just assume that they she got fired or you know you just don't know well that's what's so curious she went to brazil with him it very (laughs) that's and that's why i think it's so interesting because i think i mean look obviously you gotta you gotta like tap out on a movie at some point but um and be like okay we're wrapping this one up but i do think it would be really interesting to know how those three women especially tomlin you know she eventually gets that promotion Mm -hmm. and you know what do they do with her do they say, hey, we're going to give you another chance? Or do they say you've proven who you are? You're out of here. You know, so I think that that could have been an interesting little epilogue. Nine to, to- five to the adventure of Ross. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yes. So though what that does make me think of is um, so when 
when Hart is freed or he frees himself or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is, I think, a little bit of a um a little bit of a conceit that he doesn't just immediately call the police. I don't really know why he waits on calling the police and he makes the women take him through the office. It's purely for them to show him how well they've been doing without him. <laughs> yeah, that is um, a good point. I, never, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Like, yeah. why are you doing a tour of the office? Why are you doing a tour of the office? Um, but uh, I'm, I think what really hits home for me in that scene is Again, these things that they implemented where I'm like, it's 2021. Why don't you look at this movie and see some of the things that they've done, like with the childcare, with the flexible hours, with all these different things that you would have implemented these things. You, I mean, I know that right now there's like all this back and forth about, you know, are people going to be asked to come back into the office? Mm -hmm. Um, and how that's going to impact and like, you know, that term that's kind of come up in the last couple of months, the great resignation Oh, um, because of so many qu- people quitting their jobs. Yes. And I think that's just another way that the film is so ahead of its time um, mm-hmm. and bringing up all these different things. But that it's kind of sad that a lot hasn't been learned in terms of how to create a better workplace. I mean, is that something at all that like like hit home for you and seeing all these different changes that they made that like improved the workplace? I think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, you brought up a good point on that because um, maybe it's not instead of the workplace changing, I think what has changed is the male and female role in the sense, mm. you know, so that's changed. So the, uh, you know, more dads, it's more um, acceptable or, or, you know, known now that the dads get to stay home with the kids and mm-hmm. the woman mm-hmm. is out working. So, you know, I think society, we've changed so much in the roles that maybe that's why those, those things that they implemented in that movie never really carried forward, but the change in roles did. I don't know. I mean that, cause yeah. you're right. It would have been a lot easier to allow what, you know, allow the daycare it's, you know, mm-hmm. the work and, uh, the flexibility in hours, I think sometimes you get better productivity. Um, but you know, I just don't know. I don't know. I think it's just the change mm-hmm. in, you know, roles and, and the women are doing more now and, and, and not in a good, I mean, not in a bad way. I'm just saying it's just changed sure. that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. No. It's so maybe it did point. that. Maybe the film showed the strength in the woman that they can do all this, not just the men are going to do it. Um, you know, the woman can do that. And so, um, I think so much of that has changed from when the from the eighties. Well, that kind of brings me to like it because this has just been an amazing conversation. But um, kind of to like a last final point in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, we talked about a po- you know possibility of a remake um, yeah. and that sort of thing and what that would look like in twenty twenty one. But in terms of people looking back at this film from nineteen eighty, you know, the like kind of outrageous humor aside. Do you think that this is still a film that has like a relevance to it? Do you think that like people would say, yeah, because like I, I'm kind of looking at things and saying like, oh, it's so sad that this film was so ahead of its time. But do you think that Mm -hmm. other people might take a different viewpoint of it and say 1980, this is like 41 years ago, we've come so far, like this isn't, this isn't the world we live in anymore. I would hope that, you know, I think in a sense, yes, being careful how we're like, you know, what we said at the very beginning, and I think Derek brought up about, um, 
you know, some things, uh, poking fun at certain things aren't sure. funny anymore. Right. But I do think comedy is comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we still have to have a great sense of humor mm-hmm. because to me, laughter is, is really what helps us to continue in the world and keep moving. I mean, when you can laugh mm-hmm. at things and look and laugh with each other, I, I do think it, um, creates a great energy and spirit. So I, I feel like if they could do the movie and, you know, maybe adjust it more to where we are now in the times, maybe it's the woman that's the bad boss now, <laughs> the man yeah. walk her up, who knows? But I just feel like it, you know, um, we got to be able to laugh at some of the, and, and bring, bring, bring true comedy, comedy back. Mm-hmm. I think back in the eighties when they did comedic things, it was, it was just comedic. It was for comedy purposes. Mm-hmm. I think now sometimes that's being taken away a little bit, um, still being respectful, but yet there is, we still have to have comedy and laugh. Does that make sense? Oh, makes absolutely. sense in my earbuds. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so yeah. I, I just feel like I, I love, I love just good funny. I don't think comedy needs to be stupid comedy. Sure. Um, you know, all the time, it, you know, sometimes like some of that real stupid, outrageous stuff isn't funny to me, but mm-hmm. true smart comedy I yes. know I've had people laugh at me at that, but true com- smart comedy is just everyday life. And I think we just need a little more laughter in life. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so beautifully said. And I get on my soapbox a lot about how yeah. <laughs> people don't appreciate comedy enough um, yeah. for for what it does. And I, I'm so there with you. And I think that, you know, there's a, a lot of examples. The first ones that come to mind, I mean, this film, Tootsie, Moonstruck, in terms of smart comedy. Yeah. Um, yes. And where they they're actually, just funny. yeah, they're just funny. They're, and you're right that they are like grounded in real life. I mean, obviously yeah. there are outrageous elements to all three of those films, but um, yeah, I, I totally and you don't have to think you. about it. You can just yeah. enjoy it. Movies yep. are supposed to be for pure and entertainment purposes, mm-hmm. I think. And I think we just need to enjoy them because it's your escape out of real life. Mm-hmm. And so you just want to enjoy it. And, and, um, you know, and I, when I think comedy too, it's not even being able to put all the swear words you possibly can into yeah. comedic act because that doesn't necessarily bring funny. I think it's just being able to poke fun at yourself too. Like I'm the kind of person, if I fell, I'm laughing at myself. Mm-hmm. I stand up and give myself a 10 um, because <laughs> I'm like, yes, you know, uh, and that, that just happened the other day. I was coming out in the store and I slipped on my flip flop, landed on my knee. My leg went one oh. way. And all I could think about was, dear God, please, nobody seeing me. And of course, <laughs> kids walking to school did. So they're all laughing. I'm like, is that a 10? Oh. And they're like, yeah, and one kid gave me a seven. So I ran and took him down. But beyond that... <laughs> It was great. But, uh, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself and laugh, you know, at things around you, then um, I think that, I don't know. I just, that's just me. But I look at my mirror and laugh at myself every day. And I say, I am still here and looking good. (laughs) I think that's a a beautiful way to look at how how to approach life because we're all going to have things that are less than pleasant occur to us. And if you can Mm -hmm. have a little bit of humor to just break the tension of those moments and, you know, like I was saying a couple episodes back that if I'm having a really crummy day, I'm not throwing on, like, I I feel bad that I keep, you know, bringing up this film in a negative way, but I'm not bringing, I'm not going to put on (laughs) ordinary people, you know, like (laughs) I'm, I'm going to put on a comedy because exactly to your point, I want to escape whatever is happening in that moment. Mm -hmm. I know it's only going to be for a couple hours. I know that eventually I'm going to have to, you know, confront whatever it is that I'm dealing with. 
Um, that's why you put on season one of The Office and you have like hours, hours. and hours and hours. <laughs> that, that is where TV has a little bit <laughs> of an advantage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you just put a movie on re- repeat. Um, yeah, that, that is an excellent point. But Susan, <laughs> this has been just such a pleasure to talk to you about this film. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for your time oh, today. Thank you. Um, I enjoyed it. It Oh, well, good. Good. That's always the goal for us. And, you know, we always have just so many lovely people who are doing really fun and interesting and awesome things. Um, and you are among those. And so I was curious if you wanted to just talk a little bit with our listeners about your film festival and what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the Julian Dubuque International Film Festival. Uh, it, it will be our 11th annual in April. It's April 20th to the 24th. And right now we're open for submissions. So we're seeing a lot of great films. Um, and, you know, it's to me, all film festivals are really important. They're great for filmmakers and they're great for film enthusiasts. And I uh, and love, love our group. We have a, like about 100 volunteers. Um, it's in Amazing. downtown Dubuque, Iowa. So when people think Iowa, they think cornfields, but not in Dubuque. It's a lot more hilly and, and mm-hmm. rock things. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. a mini San Francisco, I always say. Oh, so it's beautiful. It's right on the Mississippi River. And um, the city itself is just so welcoming and beautiful. So I encourage people to just to come and enjoy it as well as well seeing great programming and um, and to filmmakers, you know, we, you know, just if you don't have a film, we love you just to come and enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really excited about our, about the film festival. This is my, I guess, eighth year as oh, wow. the ED. That's awesome. So, but I've been there from the beginning. I came to that festival as a filmmaker, actually. I did a documentary. Wow. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah. And I loved it. And um, I told the co-founders, well, you know, I love this. I, you know, I'll tell you a really quick, funny story. I'm standing outside of, uh, Dubuque has like three colleges, Clark College, Loris, and University of Dubuque. They have other ones, but those are the main. And I'm sitting outside the hotel and I call my mom, who is very Irish and that sort of sarcasm. And I said, oh gosh, mom, I really, this is beautiful. Dubuque is awesome, you know, but I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> My mother and her true Irish voice says, you idiot, you went to college there in 84. I'm like, oh, (laughs) explains why my parents took me out of college. Um, But to be fair, it has changed a lot since when I was there. That's hilarious. So I'm like, oh, that's why. But it is beautiful. So, um, and I've just now uh, took over as ED and have been with it. So I'm I'm very honored that they... um, they let me keep my job and keep working the festival. <laughs> That's so cool. And so for people who um, may have films that they want to submit, would you write, like, do you think film freeway is the best way to do it? What is the best way for them to try to get that film in? For us, film freeway, we do okay. all through film freeway. And I think they're the biggest platform now that without yeah. a box is gone. Yeah. So, and they're great to work with. Awesome. That's great Definitely. to hear. And then um, what is the website of the festival itself? It's Julian, and that's J-U-L-I-E-N, filmfest.com. Perfect. And you can like us on Facebook, Twitter, that Tweety thing and that Instagram thing. Clearly, <laughs> I'm not in charge of our social media. <laughs> that social- bluebird thing and that well, other thingy. <laughs> I'm going to just say real quick, whoever is in charge of your social media, they're doing a bang-up job. That is Forge Social. They are awesome. Thank gosh for them. They're because, doing yeah. two thumbs up work. So they're like, Susan, should we do this hashtag? I'm like, is that breakfast? Or what are you talking about? 
<laughs> they're well, well done to them. They are doing an amazing job. So oh, thank um, you all. I'm no, but yes, to everyone out there, highly recommend this film festival. It's lovely. Obviously, the people behind it are lovely. So if you have a film oh, out thanks. there, please submit it. Um, it I, I could not more highly recommend them. So it's an amazing organization. And again, Susan, thank to you. you, just thank you so much for your time today. It was truly our pleasure to have you on the show. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys. I enjoyed it. Hopefully uh, we did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time. And Susan, you did a great job. So thank you again so much for being on the show with us. I choose to believe we did a great job and that Susan did an even better job. Exactly. Virtual high fives so all thank around. thank you. Yes. yes. Uh so Derek, because was you know what? I don't know if I've actually asked you. Well, we we caught part of this on TV not too long ago. Yeah. But had you actually seen the whole film start to finish? Yes. You I had have. okay. But okay. but probably like once a long time ago. I don't I, I remembered some of it. I remembered even like when I first saw it, thinking that like, wow, these uh these fantasy montages or these fantasy things are going on a while. Uh but yeah, I remember seeing it when it I don't know, probably on video or something. Okay, yeah. Yeah, unlike like Moonstruck, I legitimately had never seen it from mm -hmm. beginning to end. For this, I think I had, but probably just once. Yeah, I think it's pretty similar for me. I know that I had seen it. It had been a minute. When it was on TV a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, wow, it's been a really long time. I, we missed the whole, like, we missed that first third, though, when it was, like, just, like, setting up in a more grounded way the yeah. world of the story. Like we, we turned it on, and it was Lily Tomlin telling someone to piss off. I think it was right around that area in the hospital or that time in the hospital. Didn't we also catch the fantasy sequence, though? Um, I thought we did. Maybe I not. I don't remember it, but it's possible. But in any case, I was like really glad that we were going to be covering this one because I was like, oh, we missed. I mean, look, we could have had ways of watching the film earlier as well. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun to get to see it in, in its entirety because it had been a minute since mm -hmm. that had happened. So would you watch it again? I'd probably watch it again. Yeah. yeah. It was, it's a fun movie. Like Dolly is just like kind of fun in every mm -hmm. scene that she's in. Uh, Lulu Tomlin, it's probably one of like the roles that I most enjoy her, mm -hmm. her in. Um, except when she's shrinking into a tiny, incredible woman. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely I would watch this movie again. No doubt. I, if it hasn't probably seeped through at this point, I really prefer that first part of the film. I, I mean, look, I love slapstick comedies. I love them, um, especially from like the 30s and 40s. But I really love the way that the film is set up. And I'm totally fine with it going in kind of a, you know, outrageous direction. But I just really loved what I saw in the beginning because it's just so relatable. I love Dabney Coleman in Leather and Chains at a higher film speed swinging around <laughs> by a uh, garage door thing. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. I just I, I really enjoy him and basically everything I've seen him in. Yeah. So, yeah. He and he, he seemed like he was just totally game for for going all in on this yeah. film and just the ridiculousness of it. Where he's just sitting on the bed watching Days of Our Lives. Yeah, it actually was a really funny <laughs> moment. I, I thought that was really, really fun. Um, I mean, the thing that I was thinking about during that particular part of the film was like, is he able to shower? He was brushing his teeth. He was brushing his teeth, and yeah. it seemed like they definitely were giving him enough leverage to like use the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. But he is like, I don't think he could take a shower with all like, and that white t-shirt stayed really white 
for uh, several weeks. Man, that's a good point. Of him being in that setup. So uh, he must have had a little bit of a stench, a little bit of a stank on him. Um, or this movie's all phony. <laughs> or movies aren't real. Uh, call to action. Ooh. How would you kill your boss? That would... <laughs> no. Nope. That is, is what not I'm not going to say. <laughs> that is not our call to action. That's not what we're asking people to do. Um, I mean, look, uh, I think we've all been in circumstances where it's been a less than positive work experience. Um, I think, though, you know, because I here's here's what I'll say, though. Maybe we can spin this a little bit. I've been in circumstances where the actual work experience was not great, but I met some really great people. Okay. Working there. So like but like good best friends coming out of work situations. So best worst job. Oh, I like that. Okay, so go. that's your pick. Yeah. You usually do make them much more concise and to the point. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have like conversations with people. Um, so yeah, that's that's a great one. Your best and worst job. No, no, and just your best worst. Your oh, so like it was like so bad. It was like this one. It was not a good job, but the relationships that that came oh, out of it okay. made so it then a good. We are so yeah, the same thing. I think so. Okay, yeah. okay, we're so, on the same page. <laughs> if you would like to get in touch with us, <laughs> we would love to talk to you or hear from you. Um, you can reach us at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and it's the same handle for all three. It is at eighties montage pod, and eighties is eight zero s. Guess what, Derek? I, I can't. I can't guess. What is it? We're coming upon... Coming on Halloween pretty soon. Our Halloween yeah. series. I am so excited. I am looking forward to that. This is truly my favorite time of year. The last four months of the year with all the different holidays. I just love, 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 love uh, pumpkin spice season. <laughs> I love it all. Uh, I mean, I'm laughing, but I had a pumpkin cream cold brew yeah you have no room to talk yeah. mister um and that is my clue to you oh yeah is it wait my so halloween is the clue no no pumpkin spice is the clue pumpkin spice wait, pumpkin head there you go yes <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're kicking off. More aliens talk, kind of. There's a connection there. Sure. Yeah. No, there's very Couple. much it. Yeah. yeah. Very much a connection yeah. there. Um, so we are kicking off our Halloween series with Pumpkinhead. And so excited. We're going to have an amazing guest on. We love her. And thank you so much for hanging with us for this one. And we will talk to you in two weeks time. 